Welcome to Humble Beginnings, a podcast where we uncover the unconventional, more relatable paths to success. In this show, we'll share the stories before the C-suites, board memberships, and appointments, the stories of various upbringings, first jobs, career pivots, educational uncertainties, and more. This is the place to hear about their lives from the GovCon executives themselves. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to an episode of Humble Beginnings, where we talk to GovCon executives about their unconventional paths to success. I'm your host, Amanda Zieta, and our guest today is Stephanie Mango. She's a president of CGI Federal. Thank you so much for being here today, Stephanie. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Of course. So, Stephanie, I understand that you grew up in the DMV area. Your dad was a scientist who worked for the government for most of his career. Did that influence you at all growing up? What was that like? Yeah, I um, I used to think it was rare to be one of the people who grew up in the DMV area, but turns out there's actually quite a few of us still around, um, and those of us like me who left for a while and came back. I guess there's some some draw to the area. My father was uh, the first in his family to to go to college, and and he went all the way to get his doctorate. Still trying to encourage me to do the same, even even at this age, and he worked for the government his entire career starting when he was in his early 20s. And that absolutely did influence me. I mean, he he spent a lot of time teaching me about um, making sure what you were doing is contributing and adding value. And so he always viewed working with the government as one of the one of the highest levels of service. So that's absolutely uh, influenced me and my career decisions. Well, that makes sense. So when you decided to um, go to college and pursue your education at UVA, what led to your decision there and and how did that dictate what you studied in school? Yeah, so back back when I went to school, getting UVA was much easier. <laughs> I can tell you now I would probably never get into UVA. Um, and and actually I went to UVA to study math. Um, thought I was gonna thought I was gonna be a great mathematician until I got to fourth semester calculus. At which point, it turns out I wasn't going to be such a great mathematician. So, so then I decided to do accounting because I still love numbers and was trying to figure out how to how to fit that in. And so I ended up getting my gra- undergraduate degree in in accounting. And so that's a interesting change though that happened when I got my degree in accounting. I used to intern over the summer. I, I, I've worked, uh, always worked most of my life. And so I interned over the summer and over the winter breaks. And I worked for a CPA firm, which is what everybody did when you were an accountant. Back then it was the big eight or big six. Um, and I did auditing. And it was a very interesting career for those of you who do that. Um, for those of you who don't, back in the day, it was very paper-based. And so you would sit in these conference rooms with stacks of paper and go through all this paper and tick and tie things and staple them onto the work papers. And you would sit in that conference room all day and nobody wanted to talk to you because you were the auditor. And I realized that this is not my job. Um, And so realized, unfortunately, well into my last year of school that I'd picked the wrong career. Um, And so definitely had some moments after that. Yeah. Was there a pivotal moment uh, during that time? Was there someone who helped you or mentored you in that decision-making process? Yeah. I had, I had a lot of good mentors. 
I did have a, a single professor who was probably one that I was closest to. And I went to him in a complete panic and said, Professor Nelson, I don't know what to do. Like I, I picked the wrong degree and now I'm not, now I'm about to graduate and I don't want to do this. What do I, what, what do I do? <clears throat> and then he gave me some of the best leadership advice ever. He said, first, don't panic. Just don't panic. And I said, okay, that's too late, <laughs> but I'll take a couple of breaths and try to stop panicking. <laughs> and, and then he said, okay, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm not sure. Um, here's, you know, here's what attracted me to this in the first place. Here's what I, what I like about it. And then here's what I really don't like about it. And he said, you know, IT is the wave of the future because, you know, this was in the 90s. And, uh, and so I'm starting up this new master's program. Would you be interested in staying and doing this 15-month master's program in IT? You've got a great background to build on. And he said, I'll give you a work-study program so we can help you get through it. And I said, work-study, I'm in. And so I was able to very quickly go ahead and start this master's program. Um, I was a tax librarian while I did it uh, throughout throughout that period, and I loved it. Yeah, it seems like you were pretty used to just kind of working during, was it hard to work during school, especially during a master's program? Was that difficult at all, or were you kind of used to that? I was kind of used to that. I think I had, um, I think I had my first job when I was twelve. Not that we're allowed to totally work when I was when you're twelve. But, um, I was. Uh, I, I took pictures for the community association for the pool passes. So like you would go to the, go to the little laminated um, cards. I did that starting when I was twelve because my mother was the manager of the community, and then really from then on, always have work. I was. I did. Um, the phone sales for a while during high school, during college. I, I did a lot of interesting jobs. I was a carpenter. That's my, uh, wow. yeah, it's usually one of my two truths and a lie uh, fact is that I spent two years working as a carpenter in the theater. And so learned wow. how to um, use all the power tools and, uh, and enjoy the catharsis of building a set. And then when the show's over, you destroy it all. Uh, the next day it was very, very interesting uh, job, but yeah, I've had a lot of positions throughout um, throughout my early years. Wow, that's so interesting. What was the coolest set or a set piece that you built, or was it all just kind of like backdrops and things like that? It no, it was some pretty cool stuff. I think we did um, we did cabaret, and when we did the cabaret show, there were very colorful things. We had this huge. Uh, anyone who's familiar with the show, there's the Kit Kat Club. And so we had these awesome, huge cats that were done on um, on plywood that that were bigger than I, I than I am, and they were a lot of fun to build. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So you you thought you were going to school for math, transitioned to the business school, and wanted to get an IT, but did your master's. Tell us about your first job after your master's program and what you learned from that experience. Yeah, so my first job when I came out of school, I went to a company called American Management Systems, which then was um, merged in with CGI. When I started at AMS, I worked at the help desk for the Department of State. And on the help desk, I was supporting their financial system. So I actually ended up using both degrees, which was uh, fantastic. And I worked at that help desk for at least three years. And I loved it. I know not everybody loves that work. I absolutely loved it. And I loved it 
One, as you may have noticed from what I just talked about with different jobs and switching my major a few times, I, I love to learn and I like to do different things and, and put my hand to different things. And working on the help desk allowed me to do that. And, and so it allowed me to sample a lot of things. It also taught me so much about humans. And when you think about what we do and what anyone in consulting does, it's all about humans and interacting and being empathetic. And so I would say I grew my EQ a lot in the years on the help desk. And I learned how to just be a good analyst because you get all sorts of different things thrown at you and you have to figure out how to get through them. And so I found it a very rewarding first position to have. And where did that take you afterwards, after those three years? So after those three years, I continued to work with the at the same agency, doing a number of different things. I worked on reporting for a while. I was a trainer. And interestingly, the first time that I did a training class, I got up and I was so petrified. I had to excuse myself um, and leave the room. And when I was able to pull myself together and come back, I couldn't find my words. And so I really struggled with public speaking. And people don't believe me because now you just hand me a microphone and a topic and I'm, I'm happy. Back, you know, when I first started my career 28 years ago, I couldn't, I couldn't do any public speaking. So I worked with that, with that customer for a long time, really loved it there, loved the people that I worked with, loved the mission of what we were doing. And so I would, you know, occasionally get offers to go try something else. And I usually said no, because I was very happy with what I was doing. And I finally, probably about four and a half years in, had a leader who said, no, you need to go. It's time. It's time. And it was, it was hard. I went kicking and screaming. And the answer was, you've got to, we need to see if you can do it again. You've been very successful here. I want to see if you can do it again. And, and so then I moved on to, to my next client. And it turned out there was a lot of other interesting things to explore and learn. And, and I really, and I loved it. And I loved learning new things and meeting new people. And so the next time that somebody asked me, I wasn't quite as hesitant anymore. And so I think it was a, a good lesson in the importance of saying yes. And, and then since then, I have done a lot more saying yes. Yeah. So how did opportunities come about afterwards and how did your career progress to ultimately lead you to CGI Federal? So opportunities are, you know, opportunity is interesting, right? There's seeking opportunity and, and then there is um, opportunity being presented to you. I am a big believer in you have to do a little bit of both. So you have to, you have to keep your eye out. And what I found was most effective for me is in just talking to people and in asking questions and learning more about different parts of the business, you identify challenges or holes that exist in the organization and then raise your hand to fill them. And so, um, you know, my career progression was definitely not a, a ladder. I, I moved all over the place. I was, you know, a team leader for a while. Then I went back to being an individual contributor. Um, went back to being a leader. Then I went back to an individual contributor and uh, tried a lot of different roles. And with each one, you know, there were some I was better at than others, 
but with each one, I gathered some set of skills. And what it turns out, this was completely unplanned on my part, but what it turns out is by trying a lot of different things, it gave me a good broad perspective. And that broad perspective positioned me for the role that I have now um, with the understanding that I have now. What is that understanding? <laughs> Just of what what we do okay. and how and how to motivate people. Like you, you don't I think if I had taken a different path where I didn't try more things, um, I just wouldn't understand our business very well. Got it. That makes sense. So I know you shared the story with me, with me before, and I think it's so relatable um, that I have to ask, was there a time during your career that you sort of put your professional aspirations aside to pursue something personal? And how did that change your perspective afterwards? Yeah. So there have definitely been multiple times in my career. One of the reasons um, I love this company as much as I do is I've been able to you know, ratchet up and ratchet down uh, in order to work with the rest of my life. And so, you know, probably the the boldest one was when I decided that I needed to move. So, uh, you know, as we talked about, I grew up in the Northern Virginia area. I went to school in Virginia and then I came right back to Northern Virginia afterwards. And I went for a friend's wedding out in Northern California and fell in love with the north of San Francisco Bay Area and decided that I wanted to move. And went and asked the company if I could work remotely. And the answer was yes. But I was committed that if they had said no, I was I was going to move because I wanted to move to California. And I worked remotely for four years, way back um, when working remote wasn't, yeah. wasn't hit yet. <laughs> Before it was cool. Yep. <laughs> Before it was cool. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I was trying to make that decision and coming up to the decision, I went to my sister, who's probably been always one of my life coaches, also one of my business coaches, being a business owner herself. And, and I was hemming and hawing about, should I really do it? You know, before I told the company and she said, what's the absolute worst thing that could happen to you? And I said, well, the worst thing that could happen is I hate it. And I move back and she said, okay, <laughs> is that, and is that so bad? And I thought it was a great, it was one of those, you know, those little moments when something clicks into place and it changes you. And, and all of a sudden I realized that, you know, the hemming and hawing that I was doing about certain decisions didn't make any sense. And, and I, you know, since then, when I look at not wanting to leave that first client, when I look at a lot of different things, if I had just had the perspective of if the decision's reversible, then don't spend a lot of time agonizing over it. Um, things would have been a little bit easier <laughs> in a number of different scenarios. So, um, so that definitely changed, changed my view. Yeah, I love that story. I think even though it seems like so easy, not easy to do, but today might seem easier since we do work remotely and, and COVID has made that kind of normal. I think it's important to to hear that you can make it to these, you know, C-suite executive positions and still kind of hold on to your uh, your passions and, and the things that you want to do that may not seem like they fit into this, you know, corporate career path. So absolutely. Yeah. So You've encountered some unexpected turning points throughout your journey as well. How did you face those 
taking on new positions, taking lateral positions uh, for opportunities to come up. What was your mindset uh, during those times? Yeah, the my mindset, I mean, honestly, my mindset changed over the years, right? And so if I go back early on, um, that fear and uncertainty was something that I viewed as negative. And probably somewhere around that California move, which was about nine years into my career. Um, and I lived there for four years before I uh, ended up deciding to come back. When I did, when I was having those moments um, and those agonizing moments, it's changed though. And at some point around that move, all of a sudden, I started to really enjoy that feeling of uncertainty. And I started to really enjoy not exactly knowing the right answer and pushing myself. And when I made that flip, you know, people talk about, you know, the cliche, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. It, it's true, though. And, and I found that as I gained more experience, I actually was energized by being uncomfortable. And that's what made me feel like I was really doing something is when I really was out of, out of my element just a little bit. So I think it's changed a lot. If I could really change anything, it would be to discover that part of me about nine years earlier. Reflection. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, we also know that not every um, position and boss and career opportunity is perfect and we don't excel at everything we do. But I understand there was a moment in your career where someone actually told you that you couldn't excel at your current job. And so tell us about that experience, how you responded and kind of how it drove you afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no managers. Are perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, look, we're, we're all humans. And so I think, you know, with age, you gain perspective and, and the perspective now that I have obviously is much different. But yeah, very early on in my first year, um, so at the beginning of my career, I had a boss who told me, interestingly, you're not that bright and I'm not sure you're going to make it here. And that was a lot to internalize when you're 23. Um, that <laughs> First of all, somebody thinks, well, why, why do I not seem that bright? Um, and you get all that self-doubt that, that creeps in. And then the uh, you're not going to make it here very long is not what you want to hear in your first um, year on a job. Now, that manager no longer works with us um, and didn't actually make it too much longer. But for me, it was, while at first very difficult to internalize, it became something that was a, well, interesting that you think that. <laughs> I'm going to prove you wrong. And and it helped drive me after that. Now, again, when I look back and reflect, would I, if I were wiser, I probably would have said that guy probably was having a terrible day. He probably didn't mean to say it the way it came out. And, and now I have perspective on that. At the time, though, it, I was able to use it as a driver. Yeah. That's a great takeaway. I think it's hard when you're 23 to think that way, but that's awesome that you did because it could have gone any which way, unfortunately. Yes, it could. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. So tell us how the opportunity to lead TGI Federal came about, perhaps a few opportunities before that led to it or, you know, yeah, how you're sitting here today. Mm-hmm. I'm still not exactly sure, to be <laughs> honest, <laughs> but in a, in a good way. It's um, it's a very exciting opportunity to, to lead this organization. And, you know, leading up to it, like I said, I'd switch back and forth to different roles I led a product for a while, um, and and what I found probably about seven or eight years ago, I was actually at a crossroads of choosing um, or being chosen whether I was going to go into being a business unit leader, which is a large PNL leader, or head down an in individual contributor route, where I was focused on uh, implementing our strategy at the at the organizational level. And got really excited about going the individual contributor route and then got asked to go the other route. And my you know, first reaction was, oh, but I was really excited about that other thing, but okay, I'll give it a try. And it turned out I loved it. And, and leading, leading a you know, P&L, uh, as we tend to refer to it, it brought together my love of working with other humans and getting to know other humans with thinking about strategy and being able to look at both the long-term and the short-term and what we need to do in both. And it also offered me an opportunity. We're a big global company to work with my counterparts in, in other parts of the globe more closely than I had before. And so I loved it. And as is true with everyone, when you have a position that you love you naturally do better with it. It's just the way it is, right? And so I think as leaders, we're always trying to figure out what gets people passionate and then try to put them in a role that plays to that because when they're passionate, they can do amazing things. And so I'm, and one of my things is picking good leaders. And so when I went into that, that role, I was able to uh, elevate others to come up and be leaders. And by choosing the right leaders, they make the organization successful. Great. Did you ever think any point in your life um, that you would exceed any expectations that you had set for yourself or lead a company or fit the part of a C-suite executive? Was that something you ever thought of before? No. No, <laughs> got to be completely honest with you. Um, I uh, I never really I never really thought um, this was a role that I would be in. Never um, never really had it as a particular expectation, um, and and I don't really fit the part um, in a lot of ways. Like if you look at you know at least my image, right? And we have our own images. My image of, of somebody leading an organization is a certain amount of polish and um, they're usually very tall humans. Um, and, you know, I'm five one on a good day and I, and I don't have the same polish in the way I speak or, um, or anything really. It, so no, it was never an expectation for me at the same time, what I love about um, the environment that I work in and the people that I work with is that's not what's valued. It's not about looking the part. It's about um, being able to do the job well. And so uh, 
so very excited that I've been able to get here and um, am very humbled that I have. And did you think that you would be working in some way or another for the federal government similar to your dad growing up or was that a goal? Yeah, actually my plan was to go work in government. So I was going to, I was going to do this consulting thing for a while. And then I was, my plan was always to switch over and be government. And, and I've over the years at different times have thought about that again. And what's made me stay where I am is I realized that I'm able to have a different level of impact across different organizations as opposed to working in in one federal government agency. And so I always knew that I would be in this industry. I think there's nothing more important than government service. If you think about how government service impacts every resident of the United States, you know, in one way or another, it, it makes you feel like you're contributing. And so applying my skills to make sure that not only do my parents get their social security checks, but that my kids will get them in the future, it's a responsibility um, that I take very, very seriously. And so I always knew I'd be in government. Wonderful. So my last question for you really is knowing what you've accomplished today and, and where you sit, what would you go back and tell yourself as a teenager or perhaps uh, that confused college student who was not sure which way their, uh, their career was going yet? I would definitely start with don't panic. <laughs> Still some of the best leadership advice I've ever gotten. Just don't panic, whatever situation you're in. And really it is about um, just feeling comfortable that everything's going to work out and and will work out okay. And the importance of keeping a sense of humor, I would say is the other thing. We find in our in our jobs, if we take everything way too seriously, um, one, we don't have as much fun, which isn't as good, but we don't make uh, as good of decisions as if you keep a good perspective and just listen to the people around you and try to solve the problems that are in front of you. Do you still use any of your carpenting skills today? <laughs> you know, I'm a little rusty. We don't have a table saw at my house. So. <laughs> Not quite as many as I'd like okay. to. Maybe maybe someday in my next iteration of a career. At-home project, maybe, something. Yes. <laughs> something. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, this candid conversation has been so wonderful. Amanda, I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I look forward to our next chat. Thanks for listening to this episode of Humble Beginnings. Check out WashingtonExec.com to find more of our podcasts and profiles on executives. See you next time.